You're listening to Side Hustle Pro, the podcast that teaches you to build and grow your side hustle from passion project to profitable business. And I'm your host, Nikayla Matthews Okome. So let's get started. This episode of Side Hustle Pro is brought to you by Care Of, a monthly subscription vitamin service that delivers completely personalized vitamin and supplement packs right to your door. For 25% off your first month of personalized Care Of vitamins, visit TakeCareOf.com and enter promo code SIDEHUSTLE. Hey, hey guys, welcome back to the show. Today in the guest chair, we have the amazing Sakita Holly, the founder and CEO of House of Success PR. And you'll hear why I call her amazing during the episode. If you haven't heard of Sakita yet, please turn up the volume Get rid of whatever distraction you have going on because you need to know this woman. Since 2011, Sakita's firm, House of Success PR, has worked with a wide array of clients that include African Pride, Kinky Curly Yaki, Heat Free Hair, Harlem Arts Festival, and more. In addition to her PR work, she also hosts a popular business podcast called Hashtags and Stilettos, which is designed to help millennial women win at work, in business, and everywhere in between. Sakita has also been featured by Essence Magazine, Black Enterprise, Exo Nicole, and more for her PR and business expertise. And in 2017, Sakita was named as one of PR Week's 40 Under 40 honorees. And she's a proud graduate of Howard University. So Sakita, as you'll hear in the episode, played a special role in the beginning of this Side Hustle Pro podcast and this whole journey. And I can't wait for you to hear why. But she's also someone who just inspires me to keep it moving. And it's always driven home to me that done is better than perfect. In this episode, we are going to be breaking down how to start charging for your expertise and stop doing things for free because we are off that. We're going into 2019 and we are charging for our expertise. You are going to start making money from your side hustle and we're going to get rid of that intimidation and fear that can sometimes come with setting our rates and charging folks. You'll also learn how Sakita started her own PR company and the financial struggles that she faced after. You'll hear how she herself learned how to set her rates. And of course, we get into when to be flexible, and the nuances that come with this whole process. So let's jump right into the conversation and start learning. So welcome to the guest chair, Sakita. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you today. Thank you. I am very excited to have you here. And I don't know if you know this. I don't know if I ever told you, but not only, you know, I've always loved your content, been very inspired mm-hmm. by your journey, but then when I was getting ready to start Side Hustle Pro, I was, you know, going through a lot of doubts. I was like, oh, am I really going to do this? And I mm-hmm. remember listening to your episode. It might have been your first one called Done is Better Than Perfect. Yes. And you talked about <laughs> how you started your podcast with just your iPhone earbuds. And I was mm-hmm. like, yes, what am I waiting for? Why am I making excuses like the microphone or whatever stopped me? So thank you for that. You are no part problem. of the reason that Side Hustle Pro exists. <laughs> well, your listeners should thank you <laughs> for creating this and for getting over that doubt. But what's so crazy about that episode, it was literally just seven minutes and I had to get over my own doubt to even create that. And so many people have told me that that was the catalyst for them to say, you know what, if she can do it with just that, then I can be out here (laughs) doing anything. Anything. And it's like, look at where you are now. So imagine if you didn't start, we wouldn't have this rich resource that we have now. So thank you for starting. Thank you. It's crazy. And, And yeah, I'm just, I'm having a wonderful time. So, but now let's turn to you. So tell us in your own words, who is Sakita and how did you get to where you are today? That's a great question. Um, Just let's start with the business first, I guess. Um, I am the founder and CEO of House of Success PR, and I am also the host of a popular business podcast called Hashtags and Stilettos. On a personal level, I'm just somebody who is really obsessed with how businesses and people become brands. And I've built my business and career um, in a career that allows me to participate in that process from the ground up. 
And I got to where I am today by one, just having a vision for my life and who I want it to become. And what's funny is that that's starting to change a little bit. But two, by believing in myself enough to do what it takes to make that vision a reality every day. So that it takes grit, it takes resilience, sacrifice, discipline, and a whole lot of determination. And even though I'm here now and, you know, I'm somebody that you deem worthy <laughs> of an interview, I do feel like I'm just getting started. And what do you mean by that starting to change? Elaborate. So, you know, as we get older, I've I've always wanted to be an, an entrepreneur. I've always wanted to have my own business and that piece will never go away. But as I'm getting older, I'm thinking about other things that I want to do um, outside of PR or beyond PR and just thinking about my journey and even the story that you shared and how I have been able to help people yes. um, just by sharing the things that I've learned along the way. So I, I'm really taking all of that into consideration and asking God to order my steps because I feel like there's so much more for me beyond what I'm doing now. So I'm you know, just trying to listen to that voice um, so that I can get that new vision and then I'll follow that you know, wherever it leads me. Yes, I can relate to that. Now, speaking of the vision and the path, what was your career path before going out on your own as an entrepreneur? Were you working in PR? Yes, I was. Um, I've always worked in PR. Um, if we go back before the career and when it was just jobs, I started working when I was 14. Um, so I worked a lot of different jobs. I worked at McDonald's my first job. I worked in a beauty supply store, which is funny because I do beauty PR now. Um, <laughs> you know, I've worked as a waitress, so I've done a lot. But when I got into my career, I was always in PR. Um, and what's interesting about that is when I was in college, my major was actually pre-med <laughs> and my Whoa. minor was PR because I really was going to be this OBGYN. I just I just knew I was going to be out here delivering babies. Yes. <laughs> um, but my minor was PR because I wanted to be the kind of doctor that got quoted in all the magazines and was this, this expert and like helped people in their pregnancy oh. journey. Um, and I knew I was going to have my own practice. It's sort of like if you watch Married to Medicine, you see Dr. Jackie and Dr. Simone and how people turn to them um, for different things. It was like, that's the original vision. Um, but then I don't know if it was that organic chemistry class I took. I'm not sure. Um, but I was like, you know, let me just switch this to PR full time. And I changed my minor then to entrepreneurship. And the rest, I guess you could say, is history. That's so funny that you had not many people have the vision. You were always thinking about branding. You were like, I'm going to be a doctor. But Listen. <laughs> You were always Girl, thinking about focus. it. Wow. <laughs> and it's so funny you mentioned Married to Medicine because I just randomly got hooked on that show like six years into it. I'm starting from season one. It's that serious. Like, Oh, get, get ready for a, for an adventure. Like, it's, it's crazy. It's really, it's really interesting. Yes. So, okay. Back to Sakita. Now, what inspired your pivot? What What was your initial experience like when you were working? Were you an agency? Were you, you know, internal to a, a specific brand? And then what inspired your pivot? That's a great question. Because I was working in PR, I was in corporate America um, doing global communications. And it was great for an after college job, but I wasn't really satisfied because like I said, I've always had this burning desire to be an entrepreneur. And I actually started, um, I'm doing the air quotes, uh, House <laughs> of Success PR as a student at, at Howard University to supplement my internship experience. But of course, I was working for free, like no money at all. Of um, but I, I was just out here like I'm the CEO of this business. And, you know, people were hire, hire again, air quotes, hiring me <laughs> um, to do, you know, press kits and just different things like that. But even though I wasn't making money, I was gaining a lot of experience. So by the time graduation rolled around, I was a prime candidate for pretty much any um, entry level job, even though I was like, oh, I need to be above entry level. Right. Hey, I did, all, okay. I did all this work <laughs> out here. Know me. Um, but, you know, I just always had this burning desire to know what that other side felt like. So while I was working my corporate job, it was in... Um, the finance industry. And I wasn't really interested in that. My internship experience had been across the board, but more so focused on lifestyle. So I was like, if I quit and, and really see if I can do something with House of Success PR, 
I just need to see if I can make it work. And if I fail, I, I knew that I was I could get another job. And here we are about to be eight years in January. Wow. So how old were you when you quit? Twenty three. Girl. And and you had so you had like a year of real corporate experience under your belt. Yeah, it was it was about two, almost two years that I was there. And but again, because when I was an undergrad, I did about seven internships, mm-hmm. which is insane. I was also waitressing from time to time, um, was a student athlete. I was doing the most. And then I was the CEO of <laughs> this this business. Um, but I was anybody that knew me then, if you talk to anybody, they will always say like she was focused. She was yes. on the show. Um, so even though I was starting very, very young, I had a good beginner level of experience. And I was just extremely confident and passionate about PR. Um, So I felt like, okay, I can go out here. Let me manage your brand. Let me, you know, let me help y'all out a little bit. Um, So I was just like, let me let me just do it. Yes. So what were those early days like? Walk us through before you quit. Had you landed, you know, a few clients what was it that you did to sustain yourself in those early days and making sure that you could pay your rent? Oh, paying rent. I just posted something on Twitter like, you know, when those same bills are due again, um, <laughs> <laughs> like they back. Right. We got to do this all over, all again. over again. Um, so the early days were really, really tough. So I was able to get a couple of event based clients while I still had my job and people wanted to, I had a, a PR blog at this time, uh, which eventually became hashtags and stilettos where I was sharing my expertise in the industry, which helped me attract uh, prospective clients. But people weren't going to hire me for long-term work knowing that my I was committed to a nine-to-five job, especially for a service-based business like PR. So I when I quit, I had zero clients and I had about a month's worth of money saved up for my expenses. So I was like starting from anything lower than zero. If that exists, that's where I was starting. Um, So I had about 30 days to try and find clients. I was cold calling. I was able to get um, a couple clients, but it wasn't enough to cover my bills. So those early days were extremely rough. And, you know, I know a lot of people talk about you should never quit a job before you have another opportunity lined up. And that's really great advice. Um, Sometimes it just doesn't always work out like that. And I feel like I've definitely done things the hard way and it worked out for me but you have to it takes a really 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 tough person yes um to be able to do it because when I look back at all that I endured because I there were times um I think it was like four months straight I could not pay my rent I live in New York City yeah so what were you doing where you sat did you go back to like McDonald's what was happening no like it literally the grace of God that I did not get evicted and during those four months, what I had to do, I had to, I had to, my bill collectors, like everybody I had a service with, they knew me by first and last name because <laughs> I was, I was calling them. And this is the thing that that happens with people um, when they are in a bind, they kind of hide. I know I'm proactive. Like I called them like, hey, so I know you want your money, right? And I want to give it to you. However, (laughs) I don't have it right now. So one of the things I did was move all of my bill due dates to the last day of the month. Okay. This way I'm not incurring late fees. I'm not getting unnecessary hits to my credit score. And this gives me the full month to generate income so that I can pay it. Um, I took my car to my grandmother's house. This way I wouldn't have to pay for parking. Um, I deferred. You can actually defer a car note. I deferred my car note. So they took whatever I owed that month and put it to the end of my car note. I was deferring my student loans at the time. Um, I'm happy to say I no longer have student loans or a car note. God is good. Right. Um, God is good. But like you see how I was being strategic and maneuvering. Yes. Um, And with the money that I was generating, I paid the bills that had the utmost priority, which you would think it would be rent, but the rent too high in New York. So I I had to keep my cell phone on and I had to keep my Internet on so that I could actually run my business. So those were the bills that I paid first and then everything else I had to deal with when I could. Um, So during that time. It was an extreme struggle. And when I would have to go to the bank to say, get a money order or get a check for 
to pay a bill, I was it was the worst experience ever because, you know, those old black and white movies where they drop the net on people. I just always felt like they were about to drop the net on me. Like, girl, one, you know, you don't got no money. <laughs> like, why are you even in here? Like, you don't. there's nothing in your account, sis. <laughs> like, and two, I just felt like every time I left my apartment, they was going to drop the net or I was going to come back and it was going to be the Listen, the locks will be changed. Somebody else will be walking away with my dog. I was stressed. <laughs> like, it was a really, 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 really tough time. And I did go and apply for jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, because I had waitressed in college and in high school, I was like, okay, cool. I can go and get a waitressing job and I will work on this dream at night. You know, I'll do whatever it takes to make this happen. Like I, I'm going to put my pride and my ego to the side. I don't care what it, whatever it takes. So I went and I'm in New York. So I'm like, of course I can get a waitressing job. So I go straight to Times Square. I'm applying. No, we don't have any roles. We don't have any positions or you're like overqualified. So then Whoa. I go to ESPN Zone. ESPN Zone is where I worked um, when I was at in college. And I love that restaurant. So I was like, oh, if I can get this ESPN Zone job, at least I'm I can generate cash. Like, but they kept turning me away, kept turning me away. And then a few weeks at, into this process of me trying to get a job, it was announced that all of the ESPN zones, except the one in California, were shutting down. So I was like, OK, God, are you talking to me? Mm-hmm. And I couldn't like I am extremely qualified. Like I can wait some tables. OK, so- <laughs> So I'm out here like I can't get a waitressing job in New York City in Times Square or in any other neighborhood. And then I got a call. I also apply um, for Zara, like an overnight stock person or something. And they called back. But every time I would try and go and do something other than what my dream was, mm-hmm. it wouldn't happen. And hmm. then every time I would I would think, OK, I'm definitely about to hit rock bottom. Something else would happen where I would get a client or I would get, you know, a project um, to work on to generate some income. And I just kind of took that as God saying you are where you're supposed to be. It's wow. not going to be easy, but you are on the path that you are supposed to be on. And you're just going to have to sit tight a little bit longer. So that that's kind of how the beginning was like there were times where and I, I've said this before. Um, so if somebody has heard this story, they'll they'll know. But there were times when my dog had more food than me. Oh, man. And I was I would be looking at her dish like, you know, it would be real crazy. <laughs> it would be real crazy. You know, right. and, it does smell like chicken. <laughs> and it was so funny when I when I, I remember telling, um, you know, talking about my business in those early days with my best friend's parents. Um, and they were like, you know, you could call us. You ain't got to girl. Call, if you need to eat, like, please call somebody. But again, I wasn't this was my choice that I made. So I didn't feel like I should burden anybody else based on my decision. Obviously, that's not the right way to think. But at the time, that's how I thought. So I just suffered in silence. Like, wow, I just went through it. Um, But yeah, those early days were tough. Wow. But speaking of the early days and, you know, money and income. Now, as you know, the theme of this episode is how to start charging for your expertise and stop doing things for free. And first, I want to say during this process, did you ever were you ever tempted to work with a big client for less than what you were worth or even free? Not even tempted. I have. Okay. And not for free, because at this point, I mean, I can't. Um, but I've reduced my rate for sure. And I've had I've, I've had um, instances where I would be again, I started my business. I was 23 years old. Yes. So I'm walking into offices or I'm having conversations with people two, three times my age telling them, look, I got you. I know what you need. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I know what you need. I got you, you know, and and I would get my expertise would get me in those rooms. And then I'm coming in and they're like, wait, who sent this baby in here? Like, <laughs> is this child? Yes. Um. So there was a lot of doubt on the other side of the negotiating table, if you will. So I had a lot of instances where there was pushback or people were like, wait, we we don't want to pay this. Mm-hmm. Um. But there were times where strategically I said, OK, I'll accept a lower rate because I'm thinking about the long term. Yes. One, the relationship. But also, I know 
that I could kill this account or I could kill this opportunity. And when people see the work, they're going to see the results. They're not going to see the what what they paid me. And that is more valuable than the short term sacrifice. Mm, very smart. Very smart. So when I poll people to see who would be this perfect person to talk about getting paid what you're worth and and, and figuring out how to when to charge, what to charge people, you know, they all said Sakita. So I love it. Shout out to them. <laughs> yes. So let's break some things down a little bit. Now, okay. starting out, how did you determine your base rates and, you know, what those were going to be? Were you basing them on your former salary or what you saw your employer's charge? Yes. Um, so because I did a number of internships before agency internships, before I got in corporate America, I worked at a, a boutique agency. I worked at a midsize agency and I worked at a global agency. So I had a working knowledge of what these businesses were either charging clients or what they were charging for my work. And what I learned, which was crazy with global agencies, they were as an intern, they were billing me out to clients at $90 an hour. Now ask yourself, was I making $90? an hour. <laughs> I mean, was I, that showing up in your check? <laughs> listen, nowhere near it. Nowhere near it. But again, that was a global agency. So they're getting retainers like 30,000 a month, 60,000 a month. Now, obviously, when I'm starting out, those numbers are foreign to me. They're hieroglyphics. Like yes. <laughs> it's not even realistic. So I just kind of took the working knowledge that I had and did some research just into market rates. And I started at the very low end of that scale. Um, and then I had to, you know, grow and build up from there because every client and opportunity that I got it adds to one, it adds to our skill set, but it also adds to the value. And as time went on, you know, there's an opportunity to expand your rates um, based on the experience and, and the work that you that you do. And were you creating per package rates, per opportunity or a retainer package? In the beginning, there were some project clients. I mentioned I had a few like event clients um, and things like that. But I always, 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 because I had the experience in agencies and corporate, always lean toward retainer fees. And I say that because this allows you to really understand how much money you'll be bringing in for the year or let's say the next six months. And it gives you a little bit of peace of mind. But also when you have a service business, service-based business like PR or even something similar, it's really difficult to try and offer uh, rates that are a la carte or piecemeal because people will always go for the cheapest piece of the pie. Yeah. And and then that work doesn't necessarily mean that they're getting what they actually need. So I have a lot of people that still to this day will call and say, hey, we need a press release written and then we want you to pitch the press release. But then I'm like, but your product not good. <laughs> Oh, that, oh man, we could go you on know, about that. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So it's like you need, you need the whole package because yeah. I could take your money. I could write a press release that would sound really good. I could pitch it and nothing would happen. So then you're mad at me when, because we didn't really walk you through the process of what you actually need. So leaning toward the ret retainer um, clients, it allows me to find people who are willing to invest in themselves and in their business so that they can actually get the results that they're looking for. And so it kind of helps you weed out bad clients. Exactly. And I wouldn't necessarily call them bad clients. It's with, especially with what I do, right? I'm not making something that you can physically see. And once it's made, I say, here is a mug or here is a, any, anything physical that you right. can see. I'm, I get paid to think, I get paid to be strategic, I get paid to be ahead of the game and really help people see things that they cannot see um, along this path to accomplishing their goals. That's a harder sell than a physical product. Um, so they're not bad clients. It's just about educating people in the process. And then there are people who have the best ideas, who are they're in a good place, but they just don't have the funds. And in the beginning, I took on, I was like Mother Teresa out here. Oh, I, no. I was trying to help everybody because it's like, 
I'm somebody that I, and you've listened to my podcast, but I really want people to win. I want them to succeed. And I believe in people. And I was taking on that business, but it's a detriment to you um, or anybody that's a freelancer or is trying to build a business because you are now playing the quantity game and not quality because you have to take on a lot of those little clients or little accounts in order to even generate what you could get from one longer term um, client. So I had to, you know, start selectively uh, getting more selective um, and also passing on those opportunities to other publicists or people I know just starting out or people who are looking specifically to help um, that kind of business owner. Mm -hmm. And you touch on a really important point. How did you deal with family or friends who they're like, oh, I know Sakita does this. She's really good at this. Who hit you up for that friend and family special? You know, (laughs) 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 Um, the the great thing is um, I love I love my friends and I know a lot of people who have businesses. So it really wasn't so much them hitting me up. It was I couldn't help but give them advice or I can help but try and steer them in the right direction. Um, But again, I had to become a little bit more selective with my time and energy in that realm as well because I had to actually focus on the business. So it wasn't so much the problem of family and friends coming to me for their own things or family and friend discount. But what I had to learn is that because family and friends know what you do, they may sometimes refer people who are not the right fit. So I had to educate them about the types of brands or, you know, businesses that I was looking to represent. And then in some cases, I had to tell them, please don't don't refer. Don't don't worry about it. Don't even worry about it. Do you ever get those emails where people just (laughs) hit you about the blue? Oh, such and such is doing that. You two should talk. Talk about what? Listen, listen. And then, you know what? I'm actually guilty of that, too. Now, I'm really good with introducing people who I feel I know like, oh, y'all, y'all get together. Y'all could kill it. Okay. But I had to because it's I've been on the receiving end of it. I've now gotten into the practice of let me talk to both parties. Yes. That's called the warm intro rather than the cold intro. Yep. Right. And even even when I do it in an email, I kind of break it down like hey this person does this and this is why you know I give detail and I'm not like hey A and B y'all should talk but still giving people an opportunity to say yes or no yeah and seeing where the synergies could be so you know not to get off on a tangent but that thing grinds my gears because I'm like what does this person want something like just tell me what they want to talk about like right that's it that's it okay back to how do we know what to charge, though? So what would you say to people who are unsure what to charge for a service? Do do some research. You know, when I was starting out, and it makes me sound like I'm 100 years old, <laughs> starting out, um, but within the last 10 years, people are now talking about money more, which yes. is wonderful. Yes. So there's a lot more resources available now uh, just across industries where you can find people talking about, you know, you can find income reports or people talking about what they charge or what they're making. And then, you know, the Bureau of Labor Statistics is a good resource, but you could you should also check your industry trade publications. Um, they'll usually publish like an end of year salary or financial report for firms or businesses in your sector. I know PR Week does that. Um, but then another way where if you you can't find any resources, list out your services that you offer that you want to offer and look up job positions with those same services listed. Take that salary, divide it by 12, and then you'll get a base level idea of what you can charge for a retainer rate. But then you have to factor in the other things. So do you have staff or overhead costs? Do you have vendor fees? Do you have any software that um, is essential to how you do your business? Then you can kind of factor in those um, other things and you can come up with a pretty decent rate. Hey, guys, it's Nikayla here with a quick word from our sponsors. Okay. I have a side hustle hack for all to hear, and it's called Skillshare. You want to know how I grow as a businesswoman? I keep learning. There's not a week that goes by that I'm not checking out a refresher class or a deep dive tutorial. And my go-to is Skillshare. 
Skillshare is an online learning platform with over 18,000 classes in business, marketing, entrepreneurship, you name it. So whether you're trying to start a side hustle or scale your business, Skillshare is there to keep you learning and thriving. In the last month alone, I've learned how to set up my email capture landing page on Squarespace and how to boost my email marketing using MailChimp, all through Skillshare. And now, Skillshare has a special offer just for my listeners. Get two months of Skillshare for just 99 cents. That's right, just 99 cents. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash Hustle Pro. Again, go to Skillshare.com slash Hustle Pro to start your two months now. I know you guys probably remember me telling you about how out of whack my body has felt this year. I didn't even think about it, but for almost this entire year, you guys, I was not taking any vitamins or paying attention to how that was affecting my everyday performance. Then I heard about care of vitamins and I had this epiphany like, duh, this is what I've been missing. I've been using care of vitamins for over 30 days now, and I've noticed the difference in my energy levels, in my sleep cycle and overall health. How it works is you go to the website, you fill out Care-Up's fun online quiz, which asks you about your diet, your health goals, your lifestyle choices. And it takes only five minutes to find out what vitamins and supplements you specifically need. Then your vitamins get delivered right to your door in personalized, easy to remember daily packs. Perfect for us busy on the go, folks. You can even add Care-Up's delicious nutrient-packed quick stick powders to your monthly delivery for that extra boost whenever you need it. The individual packets are really convenient. Now I just grab one every morning. I just packed three for a weekend trip I'm about to go on. So super, super easy. And the Care-Up team was nice enough to create a special offer for my listeners for 25% off your first month of personalized Care-Up vitamins. Visit TakeCareOf.com and enter promo code side hustle. That's 25% off your first month of personalized care of vitamins when you go to takecareof.com and enter side hustle at checkout. Now, you know, coming up with your rate is equal parts, obviously knowing the market, what the industry can bear, but also that confidence piece of being able to put a price tag on yourself, I think there's something about that, 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 that mental piece that you have to conquer. Do you have any advice for that? Yeah, when, when your bills come. <laughs> that'll give you all the confidence you need, okay? Okay. When, when, they, when you see that piece of paper, when, when they call you and they know your whole name, okay? Right. That'll, that'll give you the confidence that you need. But uh, in in reality, what I tell a lot of people is because we are all, in, and when I say we, I'm thinking of Black women in particular, um, which I know is a heavy demographic for your podcast, or Black people, Black women, we are undervaluing ourselves. So when I'm having these conversations privately, I normally tell people without even before we even get into the context of where you are in your business, what you're doing, add five hundred dollars or a thousand dollars to your rate. Just add it. That's what you charge now Mm. at the beginning of the combo. And they're like, what? Huh? What? What you mean? What you talking about? Like, because just add it. Just see. Write it down. See what see what that number looks like. And I had somebody do that exercise. And, and once we got into the conversation and she told me all that she was doing for the pennies that she was charging, it was warranted. And then she said she went, she had a meeting and with this new rate that was a thousand dollars higher, she was like, oh, my God, they say yes. No pushback. No nothing. Yes. And now that became her new going rate. And it's like sometimes now if if you know, let me talk to I'm not talking to everybody, but you know how they say somebody need to hear right, this. Right. <laughs> Um, everybody's not that great yet. You know, you can practice excellence before you become excellent. Um, you're on your way. So don't, you know, be out here charging $10,000 when you should be charging 1500. But in a lot of cases, you can add more to the number and then go from there. And as you continue to do your research, as you continue to talk to other people in in your industry, and that's where the confidence comes from. If you can tell yourself that you are worth the number, because a lot of times we won't even write a higher number down to ourselves. Yeah. 
we won't talking to myself sometimes I'm like I won't even say certain numbers <laughs> like but you have to we have to get in the practice of writing it down and seeing it for ourselves because yes. we can always see it for other people oh yes yeah, I hustle pro give her her coin <laughs> Yes, like for that podcast and the work that she does, give her all her money. But then when it comes to what we do, it's like, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure. That's so but true. But you have to, it's like how Beyonce had to develop Sasha Fierce as an alter ego early in her career when she was nervous about things and she just, you know, needed to shut off that part of her brain. Right. If you need to develop a business alter ego where you're just out here getting those, you know, getting your bag. Yeah. Do that. Absolutely. I I totally. Yeah, that is me all the way. Like, I'm quick to tell someone they're excellent. They're this. What? That's what they offered. No, no, yes. we're not doing that. <laughs> right, right. You know, but then when it comes to you, you can have those second second thoughts. So that is such a great point. And then when people do push back, when clients push back, is it better to lose that client or negotiate? The The best advice I always keep top of mind is be reasonable, be flexible, be reasonable, be flexible because you can have your number and you can be worth every penny of that number. However, you will find yourself in certain rooms. And if you're not willing to be flexible, you can miss out on the opportunity of a lifetime that's worth way more than the number in that contract. And when we talked about this earlier, I told you I've taken lower rates. Right. Um, when I wanted to start the beauty division for my firm, and now that's primarily the type of business that we do, um, I had an opportunity to work with this heritage brand and, you know, kind of bring them back um, into the conversation. And it was prior to getting that call, I interviewed um, and pitched for a larger brand, a more visible brand that had kind of been in the market doing things. They owned this other brand that had been completely dormant. So didn't get the, the first opportunity, but got a call for the second. Now, most people would think the bigger brand is the better opportunity. But no, I knew that if I can bring this brand back to life, oh, game over. And I did that and I took a lower rate. But doing that work put the industry, my industry and other people that I want to work with on notice. They've watched and they paid attention and that got me other business. Now I don't have the cold call. People call me. Okay. I love that. And and do you approach, even though you have your rate now, people call you, do you still approach serving a smaller business, a heritage brand versus a larger corporation who, you know, might have um, a greater brand visibility I'm I'm much more selective because uh, of where I'm trying to take my business. And again, one of the things that I mentioned earlier is you could play the quantity game in business where you can have, let's say, 50 clients at smaller rates mm-hmm. or you can have 10 clients at bigger rates. And I would rather play the quality game and really try and build um, my business and my business's reputation on working with these larger companies. Like my business is small, my company is small, but the work that we've been able to do is on a global scale. And I want to keep pushing in that direction because we're, one, we're opening up opportunities for anybody else that comes behind me and wants to do the same work because a lot of times, and especially in the multicultural beauty space, you know, that work does not go to people that look like us or that look like the customer that they're trying to market to. So by me being successful in this space, it lets them know that, oh, we don't have to go with the other agency who, yeah, yeah, they have the the pedigree. Yeah, they have an army of people that likely won't work on that account anyway. But we can go with people that intimately know our business, that intimately know our customer, and we can be successful. Amen. So we've talked a bit about the aspect of charging what you're worth. I want to get back to Sakita's journey and understanding how did you go from those early days to now where you are, what did you say? You People come to you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it. you just have to do the work. Um, what's interesting is that a lot of people, and it's so funny when you said some, you know, when you asked this question, people were like, oh, talk to Sakita, talk to Sakita, because a lot of people know and respect the work that I do, but I'm not very visible. Um, and that is because for 
you know, in January, it'll be eight years that I've had my business. For much of that time, I literally just had to have my head down and do the work. And now I'm starting to peek out a little bit like, hey, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's just it's just been an interesting journey. And to get there is you do the work, you get the results and then you keep going. And you're able to show that. Yes. And you're, you're able you're able to demonstrate that. But then you can go after bigger and bigger fish once you have case studies, once you have all this work behind you, because now you don't have to defend yourself as much. You have the you're, you're proven. So that's that's how you you build. And then were you also did you bring on staff? What, what stage did you bring on staff if you do have? So initial for years I had a lot of contractors. So it it depends on like, okay, well, what is this client doing? What kind of work are we doing with the client now? And then I would staff contractors accordingly. And we still definitely do that. Uh, but we're still a team of less than four people still. And how does that affect when you're pitching your brand? Does that ever come into play where you feel oh, like it, if it I was... It always comes into play. Mm-hmm. That always comes into play because with the type of accounts and businesses that we're going after, they're used to teams of 12, <laughs> of 15 coming yeah. to the pitch. So when I come in, it's like, okay, wait a second. But then you have to be that good. You have to be that good to get into the room. And that's what I mean by creating opportunity. But it always comes up in the conversation. Can you handle this? Can your team handle this? And it's always yes. And then I point to what we've done for other multi-million dollar brands and, you know, having that experience. And again, if I did not take that rate reduction for the first multi-million brand, would I have gotten the second one? Hmm. Now that you have this team, though, are you renting office space? Are you like bringing it completely slowly, scaling it from like Sakita's apartment to Here's the office, House of Success PR. Yes, we do have an office and I'm so grateful because for a long time, (laughs) for for a long time, I was in my apartment and what's what's interesting and that's another thing. I want to go, I want to go back to the last question and tell people listening, don't be ashamed if it's just you. Yes. If you, if you're a one person business, look at how far you've come. There, there's a Forbes article that lists like 10 one person million dollar businesses or seven figure businesses. Oh, I got to find that. Yeah, Ooh, you, I have can, to find that. you can do it. Yeah, because there's a lot of shame in that. Oh, you've been in business for this amount of time and it's just you. Yeah, it's working. Exactly. <laughs> or, you know, or it's two people or it's three people. It's like, don't be ashamed of what your business growth process looks yes. like. Um, and then coming back, because that's that's really important. There's a lot of shame in right. business in general. And there's a lot of shame if if you got a job and you didn't quit yet, but you're trying to build this business. You're not a real entrepreneur. There's so there's just I mean, there's a million different conversations we can have around the shame. So I just wanted to go back and say, don't be ashamed if it's just you. And I don't care how many years it's just been you. If you're still generating money, if you're growing, if you're in a better place today than you were yesterday, that's all that matters. Um, and to answer your other question, yes, we are out of my apartment. God is good. Um, We've been had office space for a little over a year now, and it's been the best blessing, Um, really just for my peace of mind and mental health, separating, you know, having a dedicated home space and a dedicated office space is is just so important. Um, But that's another thing. If you can't afford office space yet, don't be ashamed of that either. Right. It's fine because it's fine. There were, yeah, it's it's okay. You know, a lot of people focus on the trappings of what success is supposed to look like. You actually want to be successful. Hello, hello. Okay. Say that again. Oh my god. Pe- yes, people focus on what success is supposed to look like and the trappings of it and what you're supposed to have. You want to actually be successful. You want to have a little bit of money in your bank. You want to have a little bit of cushion. Um, and there were times earlier where I could have gotten an office, but I wasn't sure I'd be able to keep it. Yeah. I just have to stop you there because, you know, you're touch, you're hitting on so many important points. I, I know what you mean about that shame. You know, I think last year at some point there was a meme going around around about what kind of business do you have? And it was like quadrants. Are you doing everything yourself or have a team Mm -hmm. or all this stuff? And, you know, there's all this shade around, oh, my gosh, you you have a terrible business model if you are doing um, X, Y, Z yourself. And I was just right. like, close the Internet for the day. Close it. 
not yes. listening to y'all because everyone Absolutely. has to start somewhere. And you're right. They're million dollar businesses. Like every business is not the same. And also that one in the trappings of success stuff that will get you into debt because you know, what's better than hiring a team having profit. Okay. <laughs> Hello. 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 And having, having the money to hire people as you need them. Exactly. Period. So, and, and that's, it's just it's just important. And that's what I want people to kind of take away from just this conversation. We're talking about money. We're talking about what to charge. But the bigger conversation is wherever you are, it's okay to be where you are. Absolutely. And the final note before we head into the lightning round, I just want to know, how did you ensure your business would be profitable after you moved out of the apartment? Now that you're responsible for people's salary what are you doing to to kind of manage that balance of contracts? It's just all about, again, um, being selective and strategic about the types of clients and business that you take on. Um, if you try to take on businesses that aren't a fit just because you need the money or you want the money, you will always end up paying more. Maybe not in monetary in a monetary sense, but in time and energy and aggravation than you would if you just focus on the right type of business um, in terms of retainer, but also in the client that actually believes in you and will allow you to do um, your best work. Oh, yes. And on that note, let's jump into this lightning round. You know the okay. deal. Just answer the first thing that comes to mind. Are you ready? Yep. Okay. Number one, what is a resource that has helped you in your business that you can share with the Side Hustle Pro audience? Definitely G Suite for Google. Um, I've been using it since 2011 when it was Google Apps for Business, but that's just Gmail, Calendar, Drive, everything. Um, But the plugin that I use for my email that literally is a godsend is called Boomerang, and it gives you 30 seconds to unsend an email if you forgot things like an attachment or if you're like, let me just take one more look at it. It also allows you to schedule messages. And if you're like me and you kind of do a lot of work at night, you don't want to send messages at 4 a.m. So, <laughs> yes. you know, you schedule them to go out in the morning. And then the last thing that I, that it does that I love is that it gives you read receipts, which regular Gmail does not. Um, this way it helps you be strategic um, when you're following up with people. Yes. All right. Number two, what's been the best business book or live event or podcast episode that you consumed this year? Uh, Well, a book that I've revisited is The Personal Touch by Terry Williams. Um, It's rare that I'll reread a book, but hers is one that I wanted to pick up again. Uh, Terry is an icon, a Black woman in the PR world. She has represented Eddie Murphy, Miles Davis, so many people, and she recently retired. But her words in that book, which came out in the 90s, still ring true. And it's really just all about business is personal. No matter what anybody says, business is personal um, and you need to treat it as such. You need to treat your relationships and your interactions um, with people as if these are your friends and family. Love that. I need to pick that up again, actually. So thank you for that. Number three, who is a black woman entrepreneur who you would want to trade places with for a day and why? Hmm. Uh, can I name two people? Yes, you can. Uh, okay. So the first one I would say is a woman named Dia Sims. Dia is way more under the radar than she should be, but she's the president of Combs Enterprises. So she runs all of Diddy's business ventures and she's been working with him for years and started as his assistant. But she, you know, when you see him out here being successful, he has women behind him that are making it happen. um, And she's one of them. So I would, I just need to see what that's like. Um, And the other one, I would say Mona Scott Young. Because she's fascinating. A lot of people don't really like her for many, many reasons. But she's somebody who worked in the entertainment and music industry and was able to get out as the industry evolved and be successful in a whole entirely new lane. And she's building an empire. She sure is. She's creating wealth for tons of other people in the process. She sure is. Yeah. yeah. So I just want to peek into her world. I don't want to stay there now. (laughs) That's that's a different world, but I just want to peek and and just see what it's like. Yes. Okay. Number four, what is a personal habit that has helped Sakita be significantly successful in her business? Um, I would say the personal habit is being committed to your personal development. 
if you become a better person, your business will become better. You will be more successful. And just going back to what I said about business being personal, working on myself and working on my soft skills and dealing with people and being able to, regardless of the situation, whether it's a a disagreement, whether we're at the negotiating table and I'm not getting what I want, being able to take a step back, gain perspective of the situation and make better decisions. So my personal habit is constantly being reflective and self-aware and saying, okay, what do I need to work on? What do I need to do to make things go better? Love that. And finally, what is your parting advice for fellow women entrepreneurs who want to be their own boss, but are worried about losing that steady paycheck? If you don't have to do things the hard way, like I did, don't. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I, you know, I, I've, ta- I've talked a little bit about my story, but it was re- like we I can joke about it now. It's funny now. It's funny as hell now. <laughs> <laughs> but living it, it was not funny. So yeah. if you don't have to do things the hard way, don't. If you have a job and you have a business idea that allows you to kind of work on it and at night or whenever on the weekends, keep your job, keep generating an income until you've built a cushion um, that will sustain you as you embark on that endeavor. And it just goes back to what I was saying before. Don't let people shame you into doing something that doesn't work for you. Yes. And so finally, before we go, Sakita, what is the best way for people to connect with you after this episode? They can find me on Instagram or Twitter at Miss Success. That's M-I-S-S Success. And I look forward to hearing people's thoughts. All right, guys. And there you have it. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to Side Hustle Pro. If you want to hear more from me, head on over to sidehustlepro.co forward slash side hustle corner to get my weekly side hustle diaries chronicles about my own journey from passion project to profitable business. And if you want to find me online, I'm at Side Hustle Pro on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Don't forget to join the Side Hustle Pro Facebook community. Go to sidehustlepro.co forward slash mastermind. And as always, if you love the show, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Thanks, guys. Talk to you next week.